The Lisa Burke Show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lisa Burke Show. I hope you've all had a wonderful week. It's been another very hot week here in Luxembourg, and I personally was extremely grateful for the rain we had overnight to settle the pollen, despite the fact that I was bitten overnight by some mosquito that managed to get into the room. But on the point of pollen, we're going to be talking about pollinators today with Dr. Michael Eichermann from the Luxembourg Institute of Science and Technology, because we're recording this on the 20th of May, which is World Bee Day, designated so by the UN. And of course, it's not just the bees that are the pollinators. So let me tell you a little bit more about my first guest today, Dr. Michael Eichermann, who is an agricultural entomologist. That's somebody who studies insects at the Luxembourg Institute of Science and Technology since 2007. Michael works on fundamental and applied national and international research projects on plant protection apiculture, which is beekeeping, and the development of alternative controls for pests. He's now also working on the impact of climate change on agricultural systems. And for over 10 years, Michael himself has been a beekeeper. He's been on the board of the National Beekeeper Organisation here in Luxembourg and editor of the Luxembourgish Beekeeping Journal. Welcome, Michael. Great to have you here. Thanks, Lisa. It's really a great pleasure to have the invitation to your show. And I know you've been dashing here with some sorts of train problems coming up from Belleville, but we're very, very grateful for your time and your expertise on this very, very special day, which is World Bee Day. So why are we talking about bees? Why are bees important? Bees are really important because it's really an important group for pollination of plants. Maybe, you know, every third bit we take is depending on pollination, not only by honeybees, but also by other pollinator insects. Yeah, and I'm just going to repeat that because that is such... When I read that, I was absolutely amazed. Every third bite of food we have yes. is actually a direct lineage to the pollination of plants by bees. Absolutely. Amazing. You can estimate that more than 70, I think it's something between 70 and 75% of the plant species are depending on pollination. Can be pollination by insects, can also by birds, by small mammals, by bats, whatever. Yeah, bats. That was one I didn't yes. know. I mean, I know a few <laughs> pollinators, but bats was a new one to I me. I think this is uh, typical for South America, if I remember right. Ah, okay. And you've come with a very special book as well, Silent Earth. Absolutely. And you love this book. Absolutely, because maybe the, the older people from the audience can remember the wonderful book by Rachel Carson, Silent Spring where Rachel Carson described the effect of DDT on birds, on insects, on the environment at all. And this is a book called Silent Earth by a professor from UK named Dave Goulson. Dave Goulson is really one of the best experts for pollinating insects in the world and a very charming writer. And his book, Silent Earth, is about the insects apocalypse, so the decline of pollinator insects. The danger that we are facing at the moment, the challenges we have to save these insects and to give also some ideas of solution how to protect the insects and at the end protecting the world. Absolutely. It's, it's fundamental to our, our food. And of course, we're seeing other issues, global geopolitical issues that are affecting our food supplies Absolutely. at the moment. But when it comes to the work that 
Your group at LIST, the Agro-Environment Systems Group, have been doing to study bees. Talk us through a little bit of, of the studies that you've been undertaking there. Well, we started 10 years ago with a project called Bee First. This project was focusing at the beginning of the interaction of beekeeping practices and the environment as well as the honeybee health. So the idea was how the environment will impact honeybee health as well as the different steps of working the beekeeper is doing with the honeybees. So we have started with questionnaires, collecting data sets, making our own experiments in close collaboration with the beekeepers, because I have to point out most of the experiments we are doing in our group, at least we are doing with beekeepers or farmers to avoid a kind of uh, artificial distance to praxis. Yeah. So it's quite important that the thing we are inventing, we are developing, we are monitoring is very close to real life. This is really the important thing. So it's really in the field research. Absolutely. I'm spending more time in the field. Uh, I can tell by your tan. <laughs> absolutely, yes. Especially yesterday I was outside in the field for, I think, five or six hours. It was 30 degrees Celsius yeah. and it was uh, not nice at all. But anyway, the data set has to be collected yeah. and I've did it. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, it, I mean, what's wonderful is that you're also working with this project Be First. It's funded by the Ministry Ministry of Agriculture, Viticulture and Rural Development here in Luxembourg. And you have a very close collaboration with the Veterinary Service and the Agricultural Technique Service here in Luxembourg. Yes, absolutely. And I have to underline that the interaction between all those entities is very close, very trustworthy over the years and is getting better and better. But it's so important, this collaboration, because all of these entities are working with the land and yeah. and the, I was going to say the animals, but the insects. It's completely vital that you have this cross-collaboration, this pollination, let's call it. Yes. <laughs> this cross-pollination between departments. It's interaction in bloom. Uh, absolutely. So... Clearly, you love beekeeping. You've become a beekeeper yourself. Tell us, the audience as well, why is beekeeping so fascinating? Honestly, it's better than sex. <laughs> well, it's it's nice to talk about sexy in the radio show. I'm not quite sure if I'm allowed to. No, to, to be honest, it's a hobby or more or less a profession you can do with all your senses. You're coming to your beehives early in the morning or around lunchtime. The sun is shining, the bees are flying, you hear their sound, you open the colony, you can feel the vibration, the life that's going out of the box with 30,000, 40,000 individual bees. And then you can smell it. It's this wonderful mixture of nectar and wax and activity. And then you can taste the nectar they've collected. You can see the pollen they've collected. You smell the wax. You can taste it. You can see with your eyes this cosmos of, of insects looking a little bit like a chaos. But if you look a little bit more detailed, you see that this is a very fine-tuned system. It's a wonder by evolution, honestly. And I have to say the honeybees has even survived the dinosaurs. And this says a lot, honestly. Oh, I didn't know that. that. That is really interesting, actually. So we've got honeycomb fossils, have we? Yes, more or less. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So for those who might not know, just talk us through how pollination works, how bees or butterflies collect the pollen and why pollination is so important, what it actually means. We have to keep in mind that 70 up to 75% of the plant species are depending on the pollination. Without any kind of 
pollination by insects. We would just depend on nuts, grain, maize, maybe soybean, so everything that is pollinated by the wind. So it's really fundamental for our nutrition values. That pollinated by the wind or insects? Yes, uh, pollinated by, by the wind. If it's only pollination by the wind, then we have only at the end nuts. Oh, sorry, yes. For sure, lots of plants are also pollinated by the wind in addition. But when they are pollinated by insects, the amount of harvest, the yield, also the quality criteria of the food is much higher. Oh, why so? Uh, I think it's dependent on this famous relationship between the plant and the pollinator. I give you a good example. Strawberries. Mm -hmm. Strawberries is the best example in the world. If you exclude the pollinators of the strawberries with uh, bumblebees completely out of a strawberry field, you have very small, undersized fruits, not very tasteful, with a low amount of ingredients and flavor, so it's, it's really disgusting. But if you bring the pollinators, especially the bumblebees, back to strawberry fields forever, <laughs> then you have wonderful quality of fruit. So it's a perfect relationship and it's a result by evolution over thousands and thousands of years. So give us some more of these fascinating examples of particular pollinators with particular plants and flowers. The funny thing is we have to discriminate between the honeybees and other pollinating insects because the honeybees, they are generalists. So they are more or less pollinating every flower they can see, if it's attractive for them, if it's a good food resource. But the other pollinators, like bumblebees or solitary bees, so very small insects, they are specialists. So they are depending on a very specific plant species they really need to survive. Thousands of different relationships like this. Because I think in Luxembourg we have uh, 310 or 315 different species of bumblebees and solitary bees, which is absolutely amazing. That's a good number, is it? It sounds a good number. It's still good, but keep in mind, these pollinators are absolutely in danger. And why are they in danger? Is this because of the pesticides? Uh, that's a part of the story. I will tell you how we, the experts, getting aware of this problem. It started 20 years ago. And the first group mentioned that something is going wrong with the pollinators were the beekeepers. Because for sure, a honey beekeeper knows his colonies directly. If something is going wrong with the honeybees, the beekeeper will see it. Because there is no better indicator for a good environment as the honeybees. So the beekeepers say the colonies getting weaker, they have problems with the orientation, the amount of honey is decreasing, they are not finding back the way to the hives, things like this. Communication was a little bit disturbed, it looked like the orientation was not good in the environment as well. So, first of all, they checked what was going wrong and they saw it was a new group of pesticides, the neonicotinoids, that was responsible for this behavior. Just repeat what that pesticide was? The, the neonicotinoids. Okay. So the neonicotinoids was a group of pesticide first used in the mid of the 90s. Very efficient. You use only a very small amount of these kind of pesticides, but it's very efficient. Unfortunately, it has a lot 
of side effects on beneficial organisms and has also the potential to accumulate in the soil. So even if you haven't used it there for one or two years, you found traces of these pesticides or breakdown products of these pesticides groups in the soil. And the is that pesticide killing all of the small pests and insects? The nasty thing is it's not really killing everything. This would be the best pesticide for me, a pesticide that is killing the insects because I know precisely, excellent, this is responsible for killing the insects. But this is a kind of poisoning effect. So the insects getting weaker, especially the honeybees, they're not, they're not dying at the, at, the, at the point directly. And keep in mind, we have 30 up to 40,000 individuals. So even if a few hundreds are not coming back to the stock, to the colony, you will not see it. The tricky thing is the poison is not killing the bees directly, but it's interacting with the health. So they are weaker for diseases, for viruses, for example. They're losing the orientation. There are experiments that these poisoned honeybees are not able to find their way back to the hive mm -hmm. when they're going out. Communication is disturbed. The glands inside the honeybee, which are really fundamental for the welfare of the honeybees, are getting smaller and smaller by these pesticides. So it's a very slow decline. Very slow decline. And this pesticide resides in the soil for a long time. I mean, the other question on this is, does it affect us? Um, not in this amount we can find in the honeybees, I have to say. But for sure, be believe me, if something is going wrong with the pollinators, at the end something will go wrong with mankind. Now, we have to also question <laughs> food supplies because yeah. the point for which pesticides yeah. were created is so that we can increase food production and be more efficient with food production. Yes. So how do you get this balance with trying to produce a large amount of food to feed as many people as possible in the smallest amount of space as possible with keeping nature alive and thriving? This is something where we need a solution for it because we have to feed, I think, up to 2059 billion people. And I have no idea how to do it and where to get the water for it. Because we have to keep in mind the use of pesticides is one reason for pollinator decline. Another one is the change of landscape use. I think in Luxembourg we are losing every day half a hectare, even sometimes up to one hectare every day for growing new houses, building new houses, uh, building factories, building roads. I was coming here by foot and I would see there was absolutely no tree next to the streets. This is really embarrassing for an environment like this. There should be more trees. Planted. Actually, on that point, I, I know uh, we're jumping across subjects a little bit, but okay. because you work with various ministries of agriculture mm. and viticulture and veterinary societies, so you're very embedded with the, the ministries here in Luxembourg that help with the environment. Do they collaborate a lot with the construction industries? Do they have a voice in how things are built and how we keep our landscape here in Luxembourg? We are quite happy as scientists that we are asked to say our opinion, to interact, also to find solutions. But there are so many factors involved in these processes mm -hmm. that sometimes it's not easy to find a simple solution. If you ask Donald Trump, for example, he will have a very simple solution. But uh, the world is complicated and we have forgotten so far one driver for the pollinator decline. This is the climate change. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Which you've started working on also, of course. Yes, we started with climate change projection impact studies. So how climate change will impact agricultural systems. Can I just throw in a thought? Yes. Temperature is a great factor in insect populations. And I would guess, not being an expert at all, that with increased temperature, you would have increasing numbers of insects. You're absolutely right. This is this is true for the moment. I Abs- feel there's abs- a big but absolutely, coming. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But first of all, we will see, we will face due to climate change, new species coming to our territory because it's warmer from the Mediterranean area normally. There are migratory insects you can see every year in summer, also in Luxembourg, very big bees you can see in specific bugs. They migrate? Specific. Yeah, they can migrate over the Alps. Wow. It's it's absolutely fascinating. And we have similar species in the uh, United States. How long do they live? Uh, more or less a year. Gosh, and they do that journey in a year? Yes. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really It's really fascinating. So you're absolutely right. First of all, we see more species. But the problem is some species are more or less cold-driven, especially the bumblebees. A bumblebee is a cold, a little bit adapted to uh, cold temperature. And um, normally I would say, ah, maybe it's getting warmer a little bit in UK and in Denmark and in Norway, so the bumblebee can migrate. Uh, The bumblebee is not doing this. There are a lot of studies see that the bumblebee has no willing to go to northern areas. But can't we bring them there if you're a bee? you You will fail. Absolutely, you will fail. Why? Let me just pause here. Thank you. It's no. wonderful. Thank you. If you could close both doors, that would be marvellous. Evgenia, now, let me just pull around a chair for you. She's just come from a law exam to come and join us. Ah, okay. Yeah. Congratulations. I hope the law exam went well. Okay, you, you don't have the results so far. No, she's just done the exam. Just she's done. just done the exam. Oh. Isn't she amazing? Oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. So I'm just going to uh, set you up here and join us. Uh, just need to um, change a few microphone settings. There we go. And uh, and you can put on headphones. Just relax. There's a glass of water there for you. Yeah, you just take a few moments. We're in the middle of talking about bumblebees. <laughs> well, not just that. It's quite serious. It's about... You will hear. You will hear. Now, where were we, Michael? We were talking about uh, climate change. Oh, yes. You were talking about the fact that Honeybees don't like to move north and we will fail if we... Bumblebees. The bumblebees will not go to the northern areas, that's for sure. And also to higher altitudes. They're they're not changing in comparison to other insects. So what we will see, I think, is first of all, a local extinction of bumblebee species. That's a fact. That's absolutely a fact. Have you seen this happen anywhere? Uh, there are some studies in the literature where this was uh, under research, for example, in UK, they have done research like this, uh, United States as well. So the bumblebees are really in trouble, which is absolutely a catastrophe because they're really specialized insects on very specific plants. So what we see is a kind of um, decreased genetic diversity. And if genetic diversity is decreasing, in species. They will get sooner or later a problem with diseases, for example. They are not resilient to changes. They are feeling stressed, things like this. So we will see local distinctions. And I think what we can do at the moment, for sure, Luxembourg cannot fight global pollinator decline. This is not possible. But on a regional scale, we can do a lot to save these species 
from local distinction. So what can we do? First of all, what we have to do is research. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's I'm a what researcher. we have you for. Not all of us can be Dr. Eichermann's. <laughs> But Dr. Eichermann, tell us about uh, what we can do not being researchers. Honestly, you start with the research and then you tell us what to do. Go and plant a seed. Grow a tree. Let there be flowers everywhere. We have to discuss about a pollinator-friendly agriculture. We have to talk about uh, pollinator-friendly cities because especially the urban areas are full of uh, different pollinator species. I think the, the city with the highest number of pollinator species is Bern and Hamburg oh. in Germany. So it, it's, it's really strange to see this. So this environment has to become pollinator-friendly. And what about becoming a beekeeper? I mean, when we think about beekeepers, we think, uh, well, not everybody feels confident enough to be a beekeeper because they might be a little bit scared about being stung. Honestly, everyone can learn to be a very good beekeeper, teached by older beekeepers in looking how they are interacting. I have to say, the beekeeping in Luxembourg is on a very, very high level due to two factors. First of all, Beekeepers has invested in equipment, so the quality of the products they're producing, honey, pollen, wax, whatever, is on a very, very high level. Everything is very efficient, very good quality, very tasty. Go to the supermarket or go to the local beekeeper, ask for a glass of honey. It's delicious. And on the other hand, we have an apicultural advisor since six or seven years. So the beginners in beekeeping are teached lesson by lesson how to become a successful beekeeper. How much does it cost to put uh, a hive? You mean the hobby? Yeah, a hive It's like together. every hobby. You can start with 100 euro and then it's open up. <laughs> But you've been talking about hives that have like about 30,000 to 40,000 bees in them. Yes, absolutely. Um, no, for sure, the first equipment is a little bit expensive to buy it. It's like buying a camera if you're a photographer, for example. But keep in mind, this is a very sustainable hobby. So when you buy a hive, it will survive for 10 or 12 or 15 years. Huh? So it, it's something out of wood. Uh, you can repair it again and again and give it a new color. And <laughs> that's not a problem at all. But be aware. Huh? I'm not a big fan of increasing the number of beekeepers in Luxembourg again and again. At the moment, we have 500 up to 520 beekeepers. More, more and more women, I have to say, which from my point of view are the better beekeepers. Oh, Why? But Why do we make good beekeepers? They are a little bit more listen to the bees, from my point of view. All the beekeeping ladies I've visited are very have a very close relationship to the bees. They're the better beekeepers, from my point of view. Oh, that's very good to hear. Sorry, let me just... Everything's buzzing around me. Um, uh, sorry. <laughs> the buzz about bees. Yes, the buzz about bees. Sorry, I had my phone on just awaiting your arrival, but there we go. It's on airplane mode now. Sorry. <laughs> So let's go back to women being wonderful beekeepers. <laughs> the, the point is, um, for example, a good example is London. We have in London 5.5 thousand honeybee colonies, especially around Hyde Park. We have 3,000 colonies. And the expert, the ecologist, are a little bit afraid that this high amount of pollinating insects, the honeybees in this case, are pushing out the specialists, so the other pollinating insects. There is a little bit a risk that this can happen. The problem is there are studies done all over the world, but you cannot compare studies about the competition between honeybees 
and other pollinating insects from USA to Europe, for example, because it's depending on the uh, amount of bee colonies, uh, the plants that are growing, the uh, solitary bees that are existing in this area. So from my point of view, it's quite fundamental to make more research in Luxembourg to check if there is a strong competition between honeybees and solitary bees or bumblebees, for example. But I guess this is the case, but only in small number of habitats. And the other thing, you did start all of this before becoming a beekeeper. You said plant a seed. I suppose we ought to learn which flowers attract butterflies or solitary bees or honeybees, because you said the honeybees are generalists. Yes, absolutely. Everything that's flowering can be visited by a honeybee. But that doesn't seem to be the case for butterflies, for example. You have to see it like this. For the honeybee, the honeybee is living in a bee colony in a hive. So no work done for the gardeners. But for the solitary bees, the bumblebees, they need nesting habitat. They have to make a nest, something like this. So they need not only the food, they need also the room to live. And this is something a gardener has also to learn. Give the solitary bees, give the bumblebees, give the butterflies in your garden a little bit of room. So where can we encourage solitary bees to have a home? The first good solution is to use one of these bee hotels. Okay. This is a very nice first start, nice beginning. Well, for sure you have to plant plants that are attractive to solitary uh, solitary bees. But on the other hand, you can also give the area, for example, offer them a little bit of sand. Some of the solitary bees are nesting inside the sand in the ground. So this is something you can offer to your bees. And honestly, don't cut your lawn every Saturday morning. Let it grow. <laughs> Let some flowers there. It's quite fundamental. At the moment, I'm, I'm talking about the decline of insects. Honestly, we have to rebuck the planet. Otherwise, we're running into absolutely problems. And I will give you at the end maybe a citation from this book. It's not from Dave Goulson, but it's from E.O. Wilson, who was a very famous American biologist, died unfortunately a few months ago in the age of 95 or 96. And this sentence says everything. If all mankind were to disappear, the world would regenerate back to the rich state of equilibrium that existed 10,000 years ago. If insects were to vanish, the environment would collapse into chaos. And there is nothing more to say. Oh, that's devastating. That's that's a bit sad at the end of the show. Yes, I know. (laughs) (laughs) That's devastating. Oh my gosh. I, I, I really quite like to leave people with a positive thing. So apart from, well, let's try not to have that happen. Let's try. We can do. Let's work to avoid the local distinction of insect species in Luxembourg. Everyone can do something. The kids in the school, the people in the retirement home, the gardeners. You have to see it like this. Dave Goulson started 20 years ago for the national, to, to fund the National Bumblebee Trust. And 20 years ago, no one was aware of what bumblebees are doing, what's there. In the UK. Yeah, in the UK. They were not aware about bumblebees. And now I think this trust has 20,000 members, something like this. Board of organizers and even the school kids, even the people in the kindergarten, the kids in the kindergarten are aware how important bumblebees are. Mm -hmm, It's part of the curriculum. I think with education, 
research, telling the people how important insects are, there is a way to teach the people to do something for our little pollinating insects friends. Well, uh, it's wonderful to have you here. It's fantastic that this research is being done at least in Luxembourg. We didn't quite push on the question of how to balance pesticides and feeding the world. It will not be easy, <laughs> honestly. Um, the thing is, if I remember right, I think humans are using 60 or 37 plant species for nutrition. But it's possible to use more than 300 different plant species. So I think a good choice would be a better diversification of plants. They're growing for food. And honestly, maybe we can start eating insects because insects can be also produced in a large amount. It's a perfect source of proteins for human consumption. Have you eaten insects? Yes. Which ones? Uh, I think it was crickets and I've tested once ice cream based on crickets. Quite tasty. I have oh to say. my gosh. <laughs> I think it was a mixture of chocolate. Well, the, the taste was a mixture of chocolate and chicken. Oh, <laughs> a bit a bit strange. That's very odd, my mind. Um, chocolate and chicken. Although uh, I think that was a recipe from South America at one stage. Uh, I'm not sure. No, guinea pig and chocolate. Oh, I'm not sure. You can also eat the eggs of termites. They're really sweet. Oh. Absolutely. Oh. And it's a wonderful protein source and the production is really sustainable. It's more sustainable than production of pigs or kettles or whatever. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, from an eating point of view, you're completely right. And I'm sure uh, Yuval Noah Harari would uh, agree with you. Um, for vegetarians, it's a little bit more complicated. A quick question. Is it good for vegetarians? I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure if it's also for, for vegans. Vegans, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know I if... They're it... also not eating honey, if I remember right. No, probably not, because it's produced by an animal. Yeah. Well, Michael, thank you so much for all of that. It was and a pleasure. It's just so lovely to have you here recording this on the Friday, the 20th of May, which is UN World Bee Day. So with that, we're going to all go away and we're going to find our seeds. We're going to do a little bit of research on what pollinators like what plants and do our best to have at least a little a little pot plant. Even if we don't have a garden, we Excellent. can have a pot plant and we can encourage people around us to not mow their lawns so religiously every weekend. Very good. That's a bit tricky though in Luxembourg sometimes, but we'll, we'll do our best. Now, I would really love to welcome now Yevhenia Pali, who has literally run here from a law exam. Firstly, thank you. How did it go? It was tough. Oh my <laughs> gosh. And you're doing it in French as well. Procedure penal. Oh my goodness me. You're extraordinary to be here, but... But thank you very much for inviting. It's my pleasure and my honor to be here today. And it was extremely interesting to listen about bees. And in fact, uh, it's uh, really interesting for everyone to follow the life of the bees. Absolutely. And to see how the structure, the society of bees is and how there are different levels of society and how they work and to take example of them. It's really the whole science. So it's my pleasure to follow the, the, this 
conversation. It's true, actually. Really? It's the collaboration of, of a community together, which is what you... Uh, what a wonderful... <laughs> thank you. How marvellous that you provided me with the perfect segue to you and what you're doing. Yevgenia, you're here because you are the founder and CEO of the Ukraine Luxembourg Business Club. Yes. Wonderful to have you here. And I know it's it's under some stress, although some of the stress has now been lifted since the exam is over. But Yevgenia, tell us, first of all, the origins of the Ukraine Luxembourg Business Club and why why it was set up. Yes. So um, I'm here in Luxembourg already eight years and I'm coming from Ukraine. I'm coming from Kiev. I was uh, working uh, the advocate in the law firm in Kiev. So I was uh, um, working biz- with business, consulting business of doing business in Ukraine. And um, when I came to Luxembourg, I was a um, consultant to European Investment Bank on Ukrainian projects. And I saw so many opportunities for Europeans to get involved into business in Ukraine. And in fact, in um, in Luxembourg, there is the community of Ukrainians who are in business, who are in law firms, who are in consultants. And there are also companies who are interested in cooperation with Ukraine. Unfortunately, we do not have embassy here. Ukrainian embassy is in Belgium, in Brussels. So we do not have Chamber of Commerce. So there is no gate to, to introduce the market. There is no way to open the market to give the knowledge and to advise and to connect people. So it was the idea to create this such kind of a small club, business club, to get to people to be connected from Ukraine, to open them the market, to show them uh, Luxembourg as the gate to Europe, uh, the gate to um, European market in different spheres, in agriculture, in uh, infrastructure, in logistics, to connect through Luxembourg to other countries. And how many members do you have? So we have several big companies and we have individuals around 40, 30 companies who are really our members. But we have for each event people who are interested, who are interested in that or that topic, who come to listen, to give advice, to to participate. So we have uh, in our contacts is around several thousand uh, contacts who are coming and providing their expertise and are supporting us in that on that area. And when did you start this? When was it founded? It was uh, already five years ago. And since then, of course... Everybody knows what's happened this year. Yes, it's a tragedy, tragedy for everyone and um, for all the people, for the nation. Luxembourg, as other countries, are doing so much to support Ukraine, to support Ukrainian people uh, in this terrible war. And um, as far as I know, it's already 5,000 people who arrived to to Luxembourg. And... um, so much so much help was provided kids went to school they are assimilated they're trying to feel better they get assistance and the government and the country supports ukraine on the governmental level but there are other levels which are of urgent need and this is business and um there are small and medium enterprises in Ukraine, which due to war, they cannot restart their work. And it's a huge problem. And it's a problem of tomorrow. Because today we are 
helping people to survive, to flee, to go out of country. We are helping country to the government, all the countries are supporting government uh, to fill in budget. But the small and medium enterprises and those people, they do not have salary. All these startups that were at the level of the beginning of their ideas, they are just trying to support also the army, to support other people, but they have no income. And this is the greatest problem and the greatest task for everyone to think about business. And it's um, the opportunity and the problems for us in Europe. Because even today, only after two months of war, we can feel the lack of goods that were provided from Ukraine. We all, I mean, it's been a prevalent story in the news. I think everybody has learned how important Ukraine has been at supplying the world with food. Exactly. And even now when you go to the supermarket, you see the lack of sunflower oil. Absolutely. And it's like everywhere, of course, and then there will be grain and then there will be bread and other and other. So, uh, of course, our big businesses suffered a lot. But there are small businesses and um, small companies that can bring food, that can bring uh, goods to Luxembourg, to Europe. We should support this and uh, support in logistics. And logistics is complicated. This is this is the problem because uh, the border is closed. The vans, the cars are standing on the border with some goods. But they also need to have the, the Western border is closed. The, uh, it, is, it is open, but still it is not that easy as it was before. It is not, and the goods are not going through the sea. It's not easy with the railways. So it is much more complicated. And so then, with this organization that you created, with the Ukraine Luxembourg Business Club, you are putting on an event, a very special event, in a couple of weeks' time, to raise awareness about this need for help for the small and medium-sized businesses in Ukraine and that relationship with Luxembourg. So how can people get involved with this event? And tell us about the event. Yes, thank you very much, first of all, for volunteering, for for your help and assistance to be part of this event, of this organization, and uh, being a um, speaker and uh, organizer as well, and uh, to help us to conduct this event. So indeed, uh, Ukraine Luxembourg Business Club in two weeks, uh, two weeks and a half, and 9th of June, we are conducting a charity dinner to take the awareness of people about the business, support of business in Ukraine, to show that our next goal is uh, to give help, to give hand to the small and medium enterprises in Ukraine, to startups who have the ideas but do not have income. And um, we are going also to to invite the people from business uh, in Luxembourg because uh, the event we call Business Stands with Ukraine. This is important that the people can consider moving back to normal now when the war is over to continue working there but even now to help those who are in need and see the ways of cooperation so on the event uh, we uh, decided uh, to cooperate with the big uh, um, fund venture capital fund which was created in uh, brussels who has already has the board and um, specialized in selecting startups so they have pre-selected startups who are really in need who are on the level of already 
certain uh, point of development of the ideas. So from our side, we would like to collect the money and to support these startups who were already created and are really in the need of money today. So we are working with this fund and Free Ukraine, it's called, and to support them to provide money further. So everything collected has a very clear endpoint. Exactly. It is very clear. Uh, we have clear and um, uh, the names of startups, their ideas. So it, is, it can be checked on online, what was pre-selected and uh, whom we are supporting. What we will do, we will invite the artists, so we will have the auction, we will have a silent auction which is running already, to, that people can have online uh, the view to see, to select the artists, the paintings. And uh, we have the support of Luxembourgish artists who also volunteered to this and uh, are providing their works of art. Also Ukrainian artists who are also in great need because today in Ukraine people are not spending money on art unfortunately and it's obvious so we also have the uh, paintings from um, Ukrainian artists who are on the silent auction and from Luxembourgish also uh, the event will be we will have a concert and the concert is um, of um, outstanding people who also like refugees move to Luxembourg from Ukraine, unfortunately, due to war. Among the people, among these 5,000 people who moved to Luxembourg, there are, there are real stars. There, are, uh, there is a couple who are in the top of 50 best couples in the world in Latin dance. And they're champions of the finals, of European finals. They were the Ukrainian champions, and this is a ball dancing. And uh, they are ready to support us and to, to make the show in support of uh, Ukraine. Also, we have um, real outstanding people who came from uh, Kyiv Opera. These are solists and of the Kyiv uh, uh, Opera House, who unfortunately, they, they have no work and they had to to leave the country and they came to Luxembourg and they are here and it's opportunity for us to see the the, the specialists, the, the stars. So we are happy that we will see these um, stars at our floor. They will support the, the concert. On the point of artists, these wonderful dancers and singers that are refugees and they've come to Luxembourg and they're resident here right now, they're also in themselves a business. They are an independent business. So are they getting support? Uh, this is the, another issue. It's a very important issue because uh, exactly as you're saying, and you're absolutely right, this is the business. The business of art, the business of singers, and the business of dancers. For this reason, we try, and this fund with whom we cooperate, they have one of the um, parts of their uh, fund. They support arts and singers. For this reason, they collect art, pieces of art from all over Ukraine, especially from the uh, part that, uh, from eastern part, and they put it on the auction, and they sell the uh, the pieces of arts. Uh, the problem is as well with the singers who cannot work. They were in choir. They were the big team and now they are single and alone here. And 
they have no income. And the same problem is with the dancers. The problem is um, that they need to restart their coaching, their schools, and they need um, premises. They need to be integrated as integrated. well into the whole ecosystem of the arts world here. Absolutely. To understand the ecosystem, to understand the members of the market, to understand the federation of sport, or for example, to get to know people to even to practice, they need to find um, premises to practice for themselves. Uh, like this couple, they are now giving f classes to refugees in the info center, but they do not have the place for themselves. They do not have costumes. It's a huge problem. It's like um, they have nothing. They just took the suitcase and they left. They have. And these no. are European stars. Yes. So. On the point of trying to help for anybody listening, for our audience members listening, if any of them have access to a large gymnasium or theatre space where the dancers could practice. Absolutely. First of all, if there is possibility that the dancers could dance. And second, if um, kids of their kids or our listeners, they would like to practice. For adults, there are classes for adults and the stars. They can teach them, they can teach, prepare the wedding dance or just the dance for as a kind of sport. And uh, it's, a, it's also support, it's support of refugees, it's support of highly professional people. It's also self-confidence and morale because I can only imagine that when you leave your country under such a cloud of sadness and in such a rush, there's enormous emotions going through you, number one being safety and security, and then you land in a completely unknown place and you've lost all sense of your identity. And work gives a part of our identity. It gives us a certain ego. You know, when one is good at something, and these people are exceptionally good Absolutely. at what they're doing, Absolutely. it feeds both them and another person Absolutely. they can give Absolutely. back. Absolutely. I would like to say about our singers from the Opera House, that this is like a air, like a water for the fish. It's, they need it just to breathe. And they were so happy to join the Philharmonie. So they have the choir and uh, they were integrated. There was a concert on the 9th of May for European Day. And there will be also uh, Carmina Burana now on uh, 12, 13, 14th of June. So they were invited. Uh, it's, I'm not professional. I cannot say in details, but I understand that the choir is not professional. But it is. they say it's of high highly, highly, uh, high level and the organization and the people, they have perfect voices. So we communicate now and um, uh, our uh, Ukrainian, uh, so this, this, they are so happy that they have this chance to sing. And so they would like to be involved in such concerts. And this is a great opportunity for them. And again, I know as a singer as well myself, singers uh, often are asked to do things for free, but this is their livelihood. So if anybody's looking for professional singers, yes. perhaps we can give out their contact. It, absolutely. The even taking private classes or even in schools, creating choir. There are different uh, ideas even for choir battles. I know there are sometimes. Um, yes. Yeah. It's a great opportunity. But returning and just coming back to the ways in which perhaps some of our listeners, it might not have even crossed their minds to consider the, the small and medium-sized enterprises uh, working from the Ukraine. What can our listeners do to help? So for the event, we invite people to come. 
Uh, it will be on 9th of uh, June at the Cultural Center Chase. Uh, we put small donation price, so people at least donate at once, and we f uh, give this money to the Foundation for Ukraine. And then uh, there are contacts. They can also find one startup and support them directly. Or we make this uh, transfer to the funds and this, this foundation supports artists. They can buy a beautiful painting from Ukrainian artists on the auction. Or they can uh, consider some ideas. Maybe they would like to open to broaden their business if they are working in some textile or uh, some industry that people can work there or for IT services that it's outsourcing there it's their labor force is much much cheaper and the cooperation um, with um, Ukraine is very much needed or maybe they would like to get some goods to be delivered from Ukraine for their supermarkets or their small shops and this can be all discussed and it will be all help to people now in need Mm -hmm. Well, I can tell you, I've been listening to all sorts of podcasts recently on the history of Ukraine and Russia. And I think a lot more people are learning about the history of Ukraine and Russia and the interconnectedness of everything. Have you got family that are at risk? I hope not. Uh, you know, all our country, we all are family. Uh, thank you very much for asking my uh For example, my mom is now here in Luxembourg, but she's going back. Now people are starting going back because they feel they want to be there. They want to support. They want to help as much as possible. And especially elderly people, they want to be back. Um, people who are abroad, these are women with kids. And they think about kids taking them to school. But all men are there. They cannot leave the country. So... Um, this is such a tragedy for every family, for family who, for women who are now abroad. Of course, they are happy to be in safety place, but they also want to go back to have the family united. Those for mothers who are, in, and the men are mobilized, they have to go to the army. And it's a danger every day. And um, of course, we have cousins, we have brothers, and um They are all mobilized after 18 years. They have, they have to go to army. So um, it's, um, and it's not the problem for one day that it will finish when we have victory. No, because there is no work. There is no, no future in several years for people, for kids. They do not know languages. They had to go to another country to study. They don't know for how many years. They don't know whether it is for, for two months or for one year or for two years. For their parents, who are at the age of 40 plus, they have to start everything from the scratch. And um, with the knowledge, which might be not really useful abroad, with the knowledge of uh, languages. Maybe I was thinking about people like for agriculture from doing bees and like this. They, were, they had it all in Ukraine and now one day they have to leave and how they can find this work. For this reason, it is so important to see these people to stay there, to stay in the other part of Ukraine, but to do the same that they were doing to start small and medium business and try to, to integrate. It's much easier to be at home in your own country and to do business. You know everything, you know culture, you, you know the language and then moving abroad. So this is so important 
So for this reason, we invite everyone to come to our event to support this idea, to support the business and a small and medium size in Ukraine. Evgenia, we will put all of the details about the people involved, the wonderful artists, the artwork and details of the event online. And Michael, you've been listening to all of this. Have you any thoughts on what you've been hearing? The interesting thing is um, our group was in contact with an inventor in the Ukraine, in Ukraine and he invented a new beehive system mm. that was able to, the hive was able to close automatically. So just in case there is a pesticide application, he was doing this by just pushing the button, closing the hives. Bees are safe for that moment. I've never seen that before. This is, was a wonderful invention. Unfortunately, due to the war, the contact was disturbed and we will never be able to come into contact again with this man. It's, it's a disaster because this was really the best thing I've seen on the market since several years. And he just... I think he told me he needs 5,000 euro to go into production, serial production. You see, and this is exactly what yeah. we are collecting money for. So if yeah. you have a contact, like this, maybe yes. we can support this startup, this idea. Because exactly when people need uh, 5,000 now in Ukraine, when, when you are losing, when you are eating all your, all your save, uh, savings... You cannot think about next invention for 5,000 euros. And for people abroad making um, to together this donation, we can support this wonderful idea. And maybe another remark, and this is really important to note, when there is pesticide application in the Ukrainian, everyone is informed. The doctors, the people. I've never seen something similar here in the, the uh, European Union. Would be nice to have a system like the Ukrainian have that when a pesticide application is done, the beekeeper is informed, the doctor is informed just in case someone will be poisoned. Okay, for sure, nowadays something like this has not happened many times, but just in case yeah. to be aware that something is mm -hmm. going on. And this is something exactly. that is really wonderful in the Ukraine. Yes, and this is because we have an agricultural country, yeah. we have so many flowers. Yes seeds, we have uh, insects. And in fact, the, the topic of honey is so popular. We all eat it. There, there are so many plants for honey. There are also people, even my neighbors, they do kind of massage with bees. Yeah, so they make the house, there are bees, and you lay down. And if you have pain in your back, you can lay down and it's over in a couple of like minutes. The bees do the massage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, not bees, it's like they're, I cannot even I think explain. You, you mean uh, breathing the air that's coming breathing, out of the hive. Yeah. Breathing. It's very good for the lungs. And it's yeah. really refreshing and people feeling better, much better. For the lungs and also they make like a house. It's kind of sauna. Yeah. And there, yeah. like in one part, there are bees. And this sound and this, um, I don't know how it works, but it helps even for the bones and for, for, for the It's body. funny you say that because you weren't here when you started off by telling us the benefits and how, well, he actually said being a beekeeper is better than sex. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying? getting red But now. you know that the woman is the main there in the bee world. Yes. Yes. The bee queen. Yes, bee queen. Sure. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The queen bee. Queen exactly. bee. And he also said that women are the better beekeepers. In exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. I believe in this. Yeah. yeah. What I love, and it 
happens pretty much every week is that when I bring people together from completely different fields, Absolutely. there is always overlap. There is always connection and there will always be stories to bring people together sure. without fail. It's happened every single week. I mean, you two didn't even speak before today. Of I don't. Of course, you <laughs> never met before. You never <laughs> met before, and the topics are absolutely different. And but yet, it is links. so important and so interesting. And indeed, it's so important to have and to for people to listen to the world, to follow the rules of the nature, and to use it and to protect. There was a very nice sentence by one of the best beekeepers in history, Brother Adam. He was a monk in UK. Originally was coming from Germany, but here's a very nice sentence from him. Let the bees tell you. Listen to the bees. All the secrets the bees will tell you. Just follow and yeah, see what they follow. do, how they work, how they bring yeah. food home. They know how It's to do so it. It's so interesting. You don't have to teach the bees. The bees, the bees are teaching us. Yes. Just we have to stop and follow the nature and see how it works. And it's the same for the other pollinating insects. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's a much happier note than the quote. <laughs> <laughs> And for those who can't see this, although I will post a picture, you have the most magnificent animalistic uh, shirt on. It's fabulous. I can see all sorts of nature, flora and fauna on that. But it will be, of course, on the photograph. I've got some flowers. I've yeah. got some flowers. On and, my and, and the head. Yeah, and the flowers. head. And the head. The hat. I and know. also a head. Yeah. He needs Come on, it's hat. summer in Luxembourg. It's summer. And he does a lot of research in the field, literally in the field. <laughs> um, it's been As always, an incredible pleasure, an incredible privilege to have you both, your experiences shared with not just me, but all of our audience. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for rushing here from Belleval. I know it wasn't an easy journey at all for a variety of reasons. You rushed here directly after a very strenuous exam for law in French and everybody is crossing their thank fingers you for much. you. <laughs> you. I will put all of the links to the, the various work uh, that you do and everybody that you've mentioned as well. And so a call out, if anybody happens to know this this beehive maker in the Ukraine who needs 5,000 to set yeah, up his uh, let's small... Support. Let's support. That, that would be really nice. If you have a contact, find I him. I was in contact with him for two or three times for several hours. And maybe I will, will get the name. And that, if you that get that, nice. we'll, we'll yes. get that story on air because that sounds like something that is it's on the verge yes. of being possible. If and you if you find it before our event, we will... Uh, yeah, because we are supporting business. It is business. And we do it on together, our project. That we, would be amazing. I will, I will try to because what he is, his invention is so fundamental. Yes. There's a lot of benefits also for the Western beekeeping, I think. That, well, I can't end on a better note than that. Thank you both so much. Thank you to all of my wonderful listeners We love hearing your stories. We love you getting in touch. We love you telling us what you want to hear, who you want to hear. If you have any ideas, if you have any feedback for me or for our guests or connections on anything that you've heard, we will love to hear it and I will forward it to my guests. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Thank you. Bye-bye. I was thinking you haven't recorded the session. <laughs> the Lisa Burke Show. 